Scott. You listen. <laughs> Look, we've had a lot of fun this summer, Scott. I'll be honest. I didn't think it was possible to have this much excitement during the off season. I thought these eight months were unwinnable for you, and you proved me wrong. We've got the best recruiting class in the history of the program coming in. Some of the most dynamic high school recruits we've ever seen committed to Louisville are now making unbelievable plays on Friday nights. But Scott, we need you to do one thing if we're going to keep this fun going. If we're going to keep the momentum rolling. If we're not going to get awkward. Scott, we need you to beat Syracuse, man. We really don't make it weird. We need you to beat Syracuse. Let's have some fun. Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast, everybody. It is uh, Wednesday, August 31st. It is game week. And after a, uh, shall we say, slow summer for the podcast, uh, we're back. We're excited about this. We're going to get back and rolling now that uh, the global sports are back into full swing. We'll get back to making this at least a once a weekly type deal, hopefully twice a week uh, type deal. Dan Sennard in Columbus, Ohio is with me. Dan, how are you? How's the summer been? Summer's kind of flown by here, um, but it's time. I mean, it's it time. is time. I stepped outside this morning. Oh, just a slight, slight crisp in the air. And that's when you know it's back, baby. Somehow, just when I thought I was out, Scott, he pulled me right back in. So, Are you, uh, are you doing the thing now? Because, like, let's be real. Both of us, and I would assume most people listening, were in kind of a low place after the UK and Air Force games to end last season. And I think we all were like, you know, if, if it wasn't, you know, Jeff Brom at all costs, and we were assuming Scott Satterfield was going to be the coach this year, we all were kind of like, Jesus, like, let's just, nothing to be excited about. We'll see what he does. If he wins seven games, who cares? Like, this guy's probably going to get fired after next year. And then now things have changed dramatically. And I think everybody's kind of looking at the roster and being like, we get a chance to be pretty good. Where, where are you on that scale? Like, have, have you have you shifted completely from your mindset of, say, like early January 2022? Um, I will say at the end of last year, like before all the recruiting momentum, I wouldn't say things were like looking ahead as grim as when like Steve Cragthorpe went into his final year. That year, it was just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, this can't end soon enough. Like, I still, there was a part of me that knew the roster was a little depleted. Um, So, I was, I guess I was still holding on to, like, some glimmer of hope. And, I mean, we sure as hell got it this summer. I mean, more than hope. Um, It it seems like we're we're actually building something, and, and there's some time and effort, and um, resources being put into the fo- football program and that's all you can ask for. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be excited about football. Um, you know, again, the off season's one thing you got to go win the games. Um, and obviously we got an important one coming up, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever kind of flip flop back and forth on a Louisville coach as much as I have sat. I feel like one game I'm like, I'm all in. This is the guy. Then like, you know, Virginia comes back last year and I was like, all right, I'm out on this guy. And then, <laughs> then they pick it up a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I might be back in. And then air force throws for 30 yards. I'm, I'm out again. It's like, Oh, five star recruit. Hey, I'm back in. So, uh, I would like, I would like to kind of steady this ship and be all in for sure. 
Um, but that starts Saturday. I mean, this is a big one. I think he knows it. I think the entire fan base and football program knows it. Got to get this one and just start building a little momentum going into this season. I mean, imagine if somebody went back and listened to our week by week podcast last <laughs> week during the season. Like we hold it, we do an emergency pod after the win over Central Florida, where we're basically like groveling to Scott Satterfield. <laughs> we're so sorry. We can't believe we ever thought this. And then three weeks later, we're like, this fucking loser. Get him out of my face forever. It's it, it's out. It's everybody's done it. Like we've all been in the same boat, and I think we are desperate to all be on the Scott Satterfield like love train. I, I why, think so God, too. I think he's a likable dude. Syracuse. It's like we all want to be like in the same boat, but we're gonna need you to beat Syracuse in order for that to happen. But we'll, don't make it weird. Um, we'll talk about the Syracuse game specifically a little bit later, but just going into the season, I think the big like overarching theme is kind of what we've been joking about here for the first five minutes or so. Like we've got this unreal recruiting class, and let's let's start with this. I think. Every Louisville fan, because we've experienced seasons where we've been like in the national title mix, right? We've, we've had in the last decade, we've had a couple of times where we've won double digit games. We had that 2016 season where for the first 10 weeks of the year, we're right there in the top five. We're flirting with the playoff. We certainly flirted with the playoff in 2006, 2004. We only lost one game and Charlie Strong has back to back double digit wins in 2012 and 2013. Like we've known what it feels like to be. A, a legit national player. And I think every Louisville football fan wants to get back to that point. Like that's the goal. The, the goal isn't just to be consistently eight, nine win good. That's it's a nice bar, but eventually we want to have a couple of seasons or at least a season every five, six, seven years or so where we're like a legitimate top 10 caliber team. And I think there are only two ways for that to happen in a sport like college football, where there, there's no bigger disparity between the haves and the have nots than any other major American sports than there is in college football, you either have to like catch lightning in a bottle, maybe have some big time local recruits that are just better than they typically are, like Michael Bush and Brian Brom, and just some under the radar guys that are NFL caliber players that didn't look like they were coming out of high school. You have to have that happen and then have the perfect coaching staff, a couple of breaks during the season. Like that can happen. We've seen it happen here. The other way is to start recruiting like the big boys, to start getting guys like the number one running back in America and Ruben Owens, the like number two wide receiver in America and DeAndre Moore. I don't know if anybody saw the highlights from that Bosco game over the weekend, but my God, like he looks, he looks unbelievable. Yeah. Um, we were texting like, about it. I was like, you mean Reggie Bush? <laughs> it's un- unreal. Like, the, the guy, he looks like a little mini Reggie Bush out there. Like, and the latter route to like prominence is the one that we're taking right now. And there's only one thing that can keep this from coming to fruition at this point which is the 2022 Louisville football season being enough of a disaster that Josh Hurd is forced to get rid of Scott Satterfield and the staff. And then I think, I mean, we've heard Pierce Clarkson come out and say definitively, the only way I'm not going to Louisville is if there's a coaching change. Like, it, 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 it sets up this potential for a very awkward feeling and a very awkward couple of weeks if Louisville goes like 6-6 six and six or 5-7. and seven. I think 7-5... and five, the fan base isn't thrilled with that, but I think everybody will understand what we have coming in and people are going to be okay. Anything more than seven and five, people are going to be, we're going to be in a good place. The question is, what if we have another season like last year where it's a whole bunch of coulda, woulda, shoulda, and we're six and six, and we look at Scott Satterfield after four years and say, this man has a losing overall record. He hasn't done anything since his very first year. 
we've had too much talent to be so mediocre for the last few years. What do we do now? Do we risk losing this recruiting class? Where, where do you, what's your what's your threshold? What, what win total do you want to see to feel good about this program moving forward with Scott Satterfield at the helm and hopefully this elite recruiting class coming in starting next year? Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, obviously, win-loss record is a big deal, and that's what I think a lot of the fan base is going to look at. Um, but then, like, I mean, I saw a guy Keith Wynn put out a stat the other day. I mean, since we joined the ACC, by the end of the year, when teams are ranked or not ranked, overall, we are 1-25 in against teams that end up in the top 25. Good guy. So, I mean... I, that that that's like a stat in itself that it's like geez like you know we're, we are not with the big boys yet and I I still think we have a long way to go to get there obviously um but man I just got to see some improvement from like a scheme standpoint from a especially from a defensive standpoint from a kind of a I mean I don't want to say like a effort standpoint because I'm not saying that the effort wasn't there last year but I just got to see it with my own two eyes like last year I, I mean the Air Force game on defense was utterly a disaster it looked like a JV team out there and if we have moments like that this season that it'll creep into my mind that okay this might not be the guy if you're if you're trying to pin a record of like hey we need to keep him around you know I would advise him not to go four and eight or five and seven, even six and six. Like, I think I would be okay with keeping around just with what he did in the off season. I don't think a lot of the fan base would be thrilled with it, but I mean, this is a once in a lifetime class. I don't think you can throw it away. Um, And, you know, six and six, it is what it is. I mean, we have a hard schedule this year, you know, a top five, you know, strength of schedule going into the, the year. So you know, it's it would be nice to steal one against maybe a team that we're not supposed to beat, but history says that's probably not going to happen. So we're going to have to win the games that we're supposed to win, and that starts with game one here. Um, but I, I, overall, I, I just from an eye, you know, eye test standpoint, I just want to see improvement. And like I said, especially on defense. Uh, it, it seems like we've kind of beefed up in a couple positions. Um, maybe we got a little more beef on the defensive line. It seems like uh, from the you know cornerback spot, we finally have a little bit of depth there and some talent. Um, so we got to see some improvement on that side of the ball. And you know, last year third down was a problem. Got to start converting third downs. Got to finish drive. So whatever. I'm starting to talk like a coach, but I, I just want to see it with my own two eyes that we look like an improved football team. Can you use the word beef one more time for me? Beef. Dan <laughs> Campbell or Dan Sennard? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like, literally, I'm like, I don't care if I got one ass cheek. I will kick your ass. No, I, I've been watching Hard Knocks. I texted you last night. I was like, I can't even deny it. I love Dan Campbell. He's awesome. Look, Jermaine, this fucking guy, you're going to get there and you fucking carve up Syracuse. I want you to just like start talking like Dan Campbell during the pod now. That's, that's your yeah. new thing. Adopt oh, that God. mentality. Here's my only problem with because I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, if he goes six and six, you got to keep him five and seven. I think even then you keep him and even four and eight. I think you make an argument because it's a it's a once in a lifetime class. Like you said, here's my only problem with that mentality. I think we're all like we're all so excited to potentially see you know, Pierce Clarkson, Madden Sanker, DeAndre Moore, Ruben Owens, all these guys uh, star as Cardinals. My only issue is 
if our mindset is is what I said it was, which was to get back to eventually winning like at least 10 games in a regular season, being one of the best teams in the ACC, competing for a playoff spot or a New Year's Six Bowl. If Scott Satterfield and this staff can't win more than six games with this year's team, like I don't have a whole lot of faith in their ability to win like 10 or 11 with this group of recruits coming in two or three years from now. Like that, that's my concern is you don't you don't sign a top 15 class. You don't sign the highest rated class in program history. to hopefully two or three years down the line, you know, go eight and four. You, you sign that class with the hope of going like 10 and two, 11 and one, beating the Clemsons of the world being you know in the, the the top 10 being in the national title discussion at least and if Satterfield with Malik Cunningham coming back with all this talent in the backfield with this ridiculously good and experienced offensive line with the the pieces that we've added on defense if he and this staff can't get to seven and five this year I I don't have a whole lot of faith in their ability to have a special season at any point down the line and that's kind of where I'm and that would put Josh Hurd in a situation where I think he would have to decide whether or not he has faith in Scott Satterfield's ability to take all this talent and do something special with it. And there's one, again, very easy way to avoid this. Win some more games. Like, like get, to, get to eight and four, everybody's cool. Get to seven and five, everybody's cool. And the thing about this year's schedule is like, there's a there's a solid chance that if Louisville doesn't have a very good opening month and a half, that the season is not going to end up the way we want it to, because it's a backloaded schedule. Um, you can make a compelling case that the three toughest games on the schedule are your last three games. You end the season at Clemson versus NC State, who's preseason top 15, and then at Kentucky, who's beaten you three straight times by, I think, you know, 7,114 points. So like, even if Louisville is six and three going into the, the last month of the season, I guess they, they'll get James Madison before they play those guys. But if they're, if they're six and three, like you could still be staring down like a six and six type season. So you need to get wins when you can get them early on in the year in these like games where the point spread is going to be four points, one way, four points, the other way. And it makes this year's game against Syracuse, which as crazy as it sounds to say about as important a season opener as we've had in a long, long time, just because it sets the tone for the entire season. And if you're looking at uh, us in 2022 and you're saying, I think that's an eight win team. I think that's a nine win team. I think that's the third best team, the second best team in the Atlantic division, whatever you're saying, if it's overly optimistic, I don't see how you get to that final result without a win over Syracuse in week one. Yeah. I I mean, I totally understand what you're saying, um, especially about, you know, if he does, if he can't get to six wins or, you know, with this team, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what your opinion is. I still don't think, I mean, I think from like a starter standpoint, we're in the best position that we've been in, you know, since Scott Satterfield has been here from a depth position, especially at a couple positions like D line wide receiver. I mean, if we have some injuries, I mean, it, it it looks pretty grim in a couple areas, and that's what scares me. I think we're we're getting close to finally having that depth at almost all positions that we need to be a successful programs. But I still think this year there are a couple spots where, and I mean, we know how important the D line is. I mean, you win in the trenches, especially in college football. It seems like all the teams that you know are in the Final Four seem to have like amazing offensive defensive lines. Um, and I think from a starter standpoint, especially offensive line, I think we're taking care of their, uh, starters and backups, but there's a couple spots, like I said, that it just scares me if we get hit with injuries 
kind of what we're going to be trotting out there. So um, I, I don't want to say, hey, you this roster needs to have six wins because um, if we're, things were to go sideways with injuries, I still, I still I hate that I'm doing I'm, I might be giving him a couple excuses because I don't think from a depth standpoint we're there yet. But I don't know. I I think this is the year you got to win a game that you're not expected to win. It's been too long. Like you said, I mean, Mikel Cunningham, six year, um, you know, a lot of weapons on offense. I just think we got to pull one out of our hat somehow. Um, and it would be nice if it was, you know, one of those games of the last half of the year. I think that would satisfy a ton of people. But um, got to win game one. Focus on game one. You know, we're talking ahead, but I, I know that they're focused on game one, and that's where it should be. Did you call him Mikhail, by the way? A little throwback? I know. God, I'm I'm losing it here. Jeez. I like it. Hey, Mikhail, when he was around, the brief tenure in, in 2019 was pretty damn good. I, I yeah. kind of wonder if we need to toss it back there. Yeah. Um, where are you? Because you, you mentioned the defense. If there's one position or one thing about this year's team that scares you more than anything else, what is it? Defensive line. Um, I, I mean, like I said, w- we got some nice starting pieces there. Um, but I feel like that's a position where you really have to have a lot of depth. Um, it would be nice. I know they said they like, I feel like they say this every year, like we're going to rotate guys in and out, keep everyone fresh. And then by like, yep. you know, the third or fourth game, it's like, we're rushing the same three people and they're, they're dog tired and we're getting run over. So, um, it would be nice to have some more efficient bodies there. Um, so I'd say that's what scares me the most. I mean, here's the deal. As much as we're dogging Scott, I mean, this is there's never been a bigger show me year than, for anyone than Brian Brown. Um, I expect a lot bigger things. I, you know, I, I think we heard him in a couple of days ago saying they're going to be, you know, defensive secondary is not going to be as much as, you know, back off coverage. They're going to be up closer. It's like, thank God, because um, I think the whole fan base was getting sick and tired of that. But yeah, I mean, just from an overall, we we got to see some on defense, but the defensive line, if you were asking me to pinpoint one place of concern, it would be that that spot right there. I'm not just blindly buying anything the defensive coaches say this offseason. I'm not doing it again. Like you can't. It's eerily reminiscent of Chris Mack and saying we're going to play faster this year. Like you right. know, like, like you're going to have to fucking show me at this point because a lot of what we're hearing right now is exactly what we heard a year ago. And I'm, I'm with you on the defensive line. I think that it's. You certainly feel good about some of the stars. Ashton Gelade, I think, is a future NFL guy. Jermaine Lole, uh, who we brought in from Arizona State, um, I think there's a chance if he's fully healthy this year and has the type of season that he had back in 2019, could be an NFL guy next year. He's not even listed as a starter right now, which is a big listen surprise. Listen to Scott's press league. conference yesterday. It, it, it scared me a little bit that he might be – I mean, I, I, he didn't talk bad about him, but I think he might be a little farther away um, – than we had hoped at this point. Yeah, he said that he, because he, he, Desmond Tell, sophomore, is listed as a starting nose tackle, which was a surprise to a lot of people. And Satterfield revealed that uh, Jermaine Lole was injured at the start of fall camp, but he's back to, he says, I think, back to 100%. And they're neck and neck in Satterfield's eyes for the starting spot. So uh, that was certainly a surprise, but we'll see. I mean, if they are going to rotate as much on the defensive line this year as they've been saying, We'll see plenty of Lole on Saturday night, and hopefully he looks like he's 100%. Because, I mean, you're right. The staff has been talking about this for a long time. But we do need to, to get to a point where, and we're not there yet, 
where it reminds you of the Charlie Strong years, where like you, you didn't even like really know who the defensive line starters exactly. were because everybody played so much. Like like you know, everybody was going to get reps, everybody was going to put up numbers. They were going to rotate eight guys pretty much all game long. And instead, for the last three years, I mean, hell, the last like five years, if you want to go back to the end of the Petrino tenure, we've been so thin on the defensive line that I think you've seen guys get worn down by the end of the season. You've certainly seen guys get worn down at the end of games. I think that's played a big part in why Louisville has been so bad in fourth quarters the last couple of years is the defensive line is just gassed. And you're going to have to play guys you know, like Lole and Tell interchangeably. You're going to have to get Ramon Perrier out there to play big reps. You're, you're going to have to have, you know, Mason Rieger, who just got a scholarship, getting some decent reps because the stars are all good. We just need backups where there's not a significant drop off. So would love to see the defensive line be much better this year than they've been the last couple of years. The other the spot that also kind of stands out to me that makes me nervous is wide receiver, just because we lost our top two guys from last year, not not counting Marshawn Ford, but our, our like traditional wideouts. We, lo- we lose Jordan Watkins in a surprise transfer to Ole Miss. We lose Tyler Harrell because uh, Alabama steals him. We lost Justin Marshall left as well. And now you, you've got a lot of guys that have played limited snaps and then some transfers that we're expecting a lot from. And I think it's great that we have so many options because we have like seven or eight guys that are, are going to, you know, I think, potentially have a shot to see the field at wide receiver. One of them not being, we should mention, Devon Mortimer, the one of the highly touted guys from the freshman class who did not uh, get admitted to the school. So he's not going to be on the team this year. I don't think he's going to be on the team ever. Um, that, that sucks. But Braden Smith's back, back healthy. Amari Huggins-Bruce showed flashes at the end of last year's back. They've been raving about Central Arkansas transfer Tyler Hudson. Uh, D. Wiggins is in from Miami. All you need is a couple of these guys to step up and be maybe even better than you thought they were for our passing attack to be as legit. The, the issue is, I feel like we've been in this situation before, in, namely like the Satterfield years after Harry Douglas and Mario Rudio moved on. Where it's like, oh, yeah, Scott Long's going to be great. Oh, yeah, Pat Carter's going to be great. Oh, yeah. And then we get to the season and just none of those guys step up and be what you want them to be. Like, this could be a, a deal where we're looking, you know, in late October, early November, and the passing game is not clicking as much as we want it to. And we're saying, why do we just assume that some of these wide receivers were going to be good? It's like, to make another basketball analogy, when you just assume some of these career 30, 35% three point shooters are going to step up and, and be able to knock down outside shots, and then you're like, why do we just assume somebody's going to be better at shooting? Uh, it, it makes me a little bit concerned because Malik Cunningham, as good as he is, not the strongest arm in the world, at least from like an NFL Josh Allen type deal. That means when it comes to him throwing sideline to sideline, especially he relies on, on precision timing. Everything has to be perfect. He has to get the ball out of his hands at the right time. The receiver has to make the cut at the right time. He has to run the right route. Like everything has to be just, just perfect. And if you don't have that type of relationship with a, with your wide receivers, it's not going to work out well. And you can work on that a lot in fall camp. I think it takes game, actual like game speed, actual playing games for that relationship to really form. And right now, I mean, he lost the guys that he had the best relationship with from last year. He doesn't have that 2-2 at well type bond with any of these guys. Maybe it develops early on, but it, it just makes me a little bit nervous. If the passing game is going to be as good as we want it to be, which one of this this group of wide receivers is going to step up and become like your second team All ACC or honorable mention All ACC caliber guy? You make good points. Here's why I guess I'm not as concerned about that. There's a couple things. One, um, 
I really, I mean, I say this blindly, but just how people are talking about him, like, I really do have a lot of faith in Tyler Hudson. Um, you, you know, just, just the way that the kids are talking about him. Um, he seems to really be kind of a next level guy that has come in and, you know, kind of taken the reins in the receiver group there. So I'm confident in him. I'm not as confident or I'm not confident in the depth, like you said, but I don't know if it's going to be as big of a factor because I think we still have other, I mean, we have Marshawn Ford that we can still use in the passing game. Plus I think we're going to have a bevy of running backs. They'll be able to catch the ball out of the backfield this year, which I think is going to take a little bit of the pressure off the wide receiver position. Now, you still obviously, like you said, I mean, it's an important position. You're going to need to stretch the field. I, I, I totally get that. But um, I, I'm wondering if early on in the season they might be using Ford and those running backs maybe a little bit more before kind of that rapport is built with the receivers. Because sometimes, like you said, it does take time. So um, I'm happy about the guys. It seems like we have starting um, you know, Amari Huggins, Bruce, Braden Smith. I mean, they provide nice depth there, but, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the running backs catching the ball out of the backfield. I'm still excited about Marshawn Ford. I think that'll take a little bit of the pressure off the wide receiver position. Can we talk about Ty and Evans for a second? Oh yeah. I, I mean, if you've been listening to the radio show or you follow me on, on social media, I know we haven't been doing pods much this summer, but I am beyond excited for Ty and Evans. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy. This has been established. But just when I talk to people, because I have a few friends who are Tennessee fans, and when we got Ty and Evans, they all hit me up and they're like, dude, he was our best player last year. If he could have saw the field more, if he hadn't had some presumed off-the-field troubles, like he would have been all at SEC and he'd be gone to the NFL right now. And then you hear, because the safe thing for Scott Satterfield to do with four seemingly similarly gifted running backs this season would have been just like hand the starting job to Jalen Mitchell because he's been the starter the last couple of years and say, you know, everybody's going to play, but Jalen's established himself as the guy. He's, he's solid. He's maybe not spectacular, but he's going to get you five, six yards on, on a good play. He's our guy at the, at the beginning. He's going to get the first carry. And you knew it was going to take somebody just being that much better than everybody else during fall camp for there not to be or, or, or listed on the depth chart with those four running backs. And that was Tyon Evans. When, when Satterfield got asked uh, two weeks ago who's been standing out on offense, the first name he mentioned was Tyon Evans. And I think he used the, the the term, he's just different. He does things that you know most people can't do. And Evans, there's been a, a lot of good stories about him this offseason. I think he says he's more serious about football than he ever has been before because he had a child recently. His family did not come from much. He wants to give his family a better life than he had growing up, all that that good stuff. And it does mean that he's, in his eyes, more focused. I can see him just being an absolute beast this year. I think you're going to see plenty of, you know, Jawar Jordan, especially on on special teams. I think you'll see a little bit of him in the backfield, too. Travion Cooley, who's been great catching passes out of the backfield in recent years, will, uh, I'm sure, be used in that role again. And then Jalen Mitchell, who's, again, like, not game-breaking speed. He's not a guy who can take what should be a five-yard run and turn it into a 70-yard touchdown. But he's the guy where... If there's a hole there and a chance to pick up four yards on you know, second and six, he's going to get you four yards. That's He's been very, very solid for us the last couple of years. He's still going to play a decent amount. I'm excited about the running back position, but my God, like Ty and Evans, he just has that that potential. Like as as solid as Mitchell is, as I think potentially explosive as, as like Cooley and Jordan have been, you know there's like a ceiling for those guys. Evans, maybe he winds up being just an okay back. 
but he kind of reminds me of Bilal Powell in that, like, ooh, if he puts it all together, like, he's got NFL shiftiness, he's got NFL breakaway speed, like, he could be an absolute game changer for this team. I cannot wait to start watching him do his thing on Saturday night against Syracuse. No, I totally agree, and, I mean, I was already excited about the running back room going into the season before he got here, and, I mean, a lot of times, usually when you get a transfer, um, you know, sometimes coaches give the benefit of the doubt to maybe the players that have already been on the roster and they kind right. of play boy about some of the transfers. And for Scott Satterfield to pretty much put this kid out front and say, Hey, he's different. He's special. I think speaks volumes about how talented this kid is. So um, you combine that with the fact that, I mean, we are absolutely loaded on the offensive line going into the year with a lot of returning talent, um, plus depth there as well. Um, I am very, very much looking forward to the running game this year. So that'll be nice to take the pressure off uh, Malik Cunningham. Uh, this is a year, I mean, we said it, we say this, here's another thing we say every going into every year. It's like, Malik, we're we're really going to need you this year, buddy. So any way that you can run out of bounds or slide, like we don't need to be taking the unnecessary hits. But I think one huge way to do that is to just turn around and hand the ball off as many times as you possibly can. So um, I think that'll be huge for us this year. I'm very excited to see him against Syracuse and, and kind of look forward to what we're going to have with him the rest of the year. I've liked hearing Malik say, and he really has been consistent when he's talked to the media, starting with the ACC media days a couple months ago. I've liked hearing him say, like, as cool as it is to put up some of the stats and some of the numbers that I've put up the last couple of years, I'm going to run it less this year. Like, like we, we want me to run less this year. And if I'm running as much as I have been the last couple of seasons, it means the offense isn't working the way it's supposed to. Like, they want to go back... I think the ideal style of play in this offense is what we saw in 2019, where it's you have that dominant back like JV and Hawkins, and Malik's going to run it a little bit to keep opposing defenses honest, but they want him to be primarily a passer this year. And he's always going to use the legs a little bit to you know, extend plays, and every now and then he'll have a design run. But as excited as all of us would be to kick off the Brock Doman era, like we, we need Malik Cunningham healthy for as much as possible. And he's, you know, he's last season aside, he's been dinged up. A lot. In 2019, he got, I feel like he was out every single game. It almost felt like 2020, he had to leave a bunch of games. Last year, the only game where getting dinged up really hurt us was the Clemson game, and it may have cost us a win. So you need him to be as healthy as possible for the entire season because let's, I mean, let's be real. We're talking about win projections and can this team get to eight wins? Can this team, you know, are they going to be six and six? We're one bad step away from Malik Cunningham from looking like a three and nine, four and eight team. I, I mean, Evan Conley's not healthy right now. Um, Brock Doman, we still haven't we haven't seen him throw a pass in a U of L uniform. Caleb Johnson, I think, has been hurt. You haven't heard him talked about at all. And the only other quarterback on the roster is uh, Nathan McElroy, the the walk on from Trinity, who's a sophomore. Like, you don't have depth there. You you don't have a guy who I think can take you to a winning season in the ACC if Malik Cunningham gets hurt. So having a full stable of running backs, being able to hopefully rely on them for uh, on a lot of Saturdays, should be a big time blessing for this offense. So. Uh, yeah, hopefully Ty Evans is. is, is let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about um, Malik for a second. Okay. I mean, you know we we've we've seen a lot, um, and I mean some of our fan base. I mean they. I mean I, this is a little bit of a stretch to me, but you've even heard like like I think he might be a Heisman candidate this year, which like I I think that's a a stretch. Um, 
but I don't know what like what your opinion is of him. I'll, I'll give you mine real quick. I, I, I'm confident with him as a quarterback. I think he can do special things. Um, I want to see him be special against a higher level of competition this year. It, it sure. seems like last year. I mean, he did put up some numbers, but, you know, not to be Debbie Downer here, it seems like some of those numbers were put up against, you know, maybe some of the less formidable opponents um, on our schedule. So I think this is a year that hopefully he takes that next step and elevates his level of play against, you know, some of these formidable defenses that we're going to go up against. No, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a valid complaint. I mean, you mentioned the stat: Louisville one in twenty-five in the ACC since uh, against teams that have ended the season ranked, and a lot of those losses have come over the last three seasons when Malik Cunningham's been the starting quarterback. And you know, it, it's great to see him just light up Duke and light up Syracuse uh, the last couple of years. We need to see him be better in games against the old Misses and the Kentuckys and the Clemsons of the world. And granted, like. Those games, you, you can't blame Malik Cunningham entirely. Everybody was bad in those games. We got blown right. out in those games. I think the one game last year where you can really look at it and say Malik really hurt us there was the NC State game because the defense was was really good for three quarters. We led that game going into the fourth quarter, and the offense just left so many points on the board, and Malik missed so many open guys uh, and just made bad decisions. And you, you kind of knew when it was 13-10 going into the fourth quarter, like, they're going to wake up pretty soon, and, and I don't think we have the answer. We didn't, and NC State ends up winning. I think 28-13 was the final. Um, he, You'd love to see him be better in those types of spots. Having said that, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, Justin Rank did a really good job on Card Chronicle a few weeks ago. He laid out, like, all the records that Malik Cunningham is at least in the running of, of potentially breaking here at UofL this, this season. It is also crazy when you look at those stats. Like, Lamar Jackson – how much he did in three years. It's, it's yeah. unreal. And some of Chris Redmond's passing numbers are also still unreal. But Malik is going to be in the top five of pretty much every major stat when it comes to UofL quarterbacks and a lot of the rushing stats as well. But he's never going to – and I know some people will view him in different lights. Not everybody fans the same way. But I would say for the majority of Louisville fans, he's never going to be viewed as like a, a tier two all-time quarterback, like that level behind guys like like Teddy and Lamar unless we have a like a special win-loss season. Because that's the one thing he doesn't have. All the numbers are great. He's never won more than eight games as a quarterback. And he's in fact, he's had one winning season as a starting quarterback. If we go like six and six or even seven and five this year and his numbers are great, people will remember Malik as a, as a good player. But he's going to be, I think, in that tier below not just Lamar and Teddy, but like the Brahms and, and Redmond. And even Lafour. Dave Ragone and Stefan LaFours, like, like he'll he'll be kind of like, like, oh, yeah, Malik was good, but he was too erratic and we didn't win enough games. Like you have to have at least one season where you, you know, you go nine and three or you go ten and two and you're seen as the catalyst for why that happened. And he hasn't he hasn't had that type of year yet. The the eight and five season in 2019 was a nice overachievement, but that was still a team that was, you know, they were seven and five going into the bowl game and you know, they beat one team of, of kind of consequence. It was a ranked Wake Forest team. Like, he needs to have that signature win, that signature performance, and really that signature season if he's going to be remembered the way that the stats say he should be remembered. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's a special dude. I really do. Um, I, I still think the 
the best is yet to come. Um, man, we, we, it would nice. It would be so nice this year. I'm knocking on wood right now to have some injury luck. Like we really need to keep like our team as healthy as possible. Um, and it does scare me that it's the back half of the season that is loaded. Um, yeah. because throughout the year, that's kind of when injuries start to pile up. So, I mean, I think we both agree from like a starter standpoint on both sides of the ball. I, I mean, I feel really good going into the season, but it uh, gets a little hairy there if, if the injuries start to pile up. All right, let's 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 talk about Syracuse specifically. Eight o'clock kickoff Saturday night. Man, that Saturday is going to be a long wait. It, I feel like it's the one week where you kind of are okay with playing early just because you've waited so long to get to that first game. I feel like it's going to be just a uh, just that day's going to drag waiting for the cars to kick off inside the Carrier Dome. I'm never calling it whatever it is now. It's always going to be the Carrier Dome. Suck at Syracuse. You don't deserve to have a new name. You can't just <laughs> change the Carrier Dome. Shut up. Yeah, I um, know. Syracuse, crazy. this series, everybody has brought up the last two years when we've beaten them 41 to three and 30 to nothing. Really, you can go all the way back to when we joined the ACC because we haven't just owned these guys. We have. We have fucking like ham boned these guys pretty much every single year, um, besides 2018 when everybody was beating us. 2014, Louisville wins 28 to six. 2015, 41 to 17. 2016, 62 to 28. That was the Lamar Jackson game. 2017, yeah. 56 to 10. 2018, 54-23, they win. Even then, though, like the fact that you let us score 23 points against you in November when we'd been we basically quit for a month and a half before that. It just shows was like how that, bad was that the one randomly good Dino year that they yeah. had. Okay, I thought so. they won ten games. Yeah, they went nine and three and won their bowl game. That's the only only time they've won more than five games under Babers was that 2018 team. Um, 2019, 56 to 34. 2020, 30 to nothing. 2021, 41 to three. Brian Brown fucking loves Syracuse. He he, he like. <laughs> We're not going to say this on any other podcast probably this year against a conference opponent. Brian, just keep doing what you've been doing. Just just keep doing what you've been doing against Syracuse. He's made your they've made your stats look much much better. But we've we've annihilated these guys pretty much every year. Seven out of eight since joining the ACC, and you know we had a, a good run against them in the Big East as well. I guess like when I keep seeing all these people talk about how they're nervous about this game or national pundits that are openly picking Syracuse to upset Louisville. The spread's only four. The one thing that I keep going to is like, how can they be that much different now than they've been the last couple of years? Cause I, I don't see it on the, in the personnel. Sean Tucker's a great running back. He was a great running back last year. We had hundred yards. Uh, Garrett Trader. We, I guess we first met him as the Mississippi state quarterback who got punched in the face by a teammate and couldn't play in the music city bowl back in 2019. He's a good dual threat quarterback. That's what everybody says. We made him throw last year. We turned him into a pocket passer, and he couldn't get it done. Um, <clears throat> they don't have a whole lot of weapons around them. The defense is is whatever. The offensive line has been bad every year under Babers. It shouldn't be that that much better. So I guess, like, like why why should they be that much better? this year than they have been the last two are, are we going to be that much worse than we were last year how, how does a 38 point gap between one from one season to the next get bridged that much like I, I just i'm not putting that much pressure on Louisville. i'm not saying we have to blow these guys out but for everybody who's predicting a syracuse win it shouldn't happen i'll, I'll leave it at that it, it yeah. we're using the word should a lot it should not happen we are on paper a much more talented team than these guys are 
Completely agree. I mean, obviously them playing at home is, is, you know, a little bit of a factor as well. And the fact that it's the first game of the year and every team has hope the first game of the year where like, we're not catching them like seventh, eighth game where they've lost four in a row and maybe they're trying to get a look at different guys. So, um, I mean, we're going to get their best shot. Obviously they had, they do have the new offensive coordinator coming in from Virginia. We all know how that went last year against them, but, uh, and I mean, from a personnel standpoint, I'm totally with you. I, I hope our team, you know, takes the mentality and that like, dude, let, we shouldn't even let these guys in the game. I mean, it would just be awesome to see us just come out and stomp right on their throats and just completely control the whole game. I think that would set the tone for the entire season. Um, you know, stay ready early, you know, build a lead and, and let your strength, your team, your offensive line and your running game do the rest from there. So I'm with you. Like I know the spread is what it is. Um, and I actually, I get why it is what it is, but um, this is a game that we should win and, in my opinion, win handily. Now, I, I also have the caveat is we know how things have gone in close games recently on, in the Scott Satterfield tenure. So uh, if it is close, obviously that makes me a little bit nervous because we haven't been able to close out those games, especially on the road. So. That's why I think it's even more important to get off to a great start in this game and just control the game from the get-go. You mentioned, I was going to bring it up next, you, you beat me to it, talking about like reasons why Syracuse fans think that this you know, it can be better this year, and they all just keep pointing to Robert and I, the new offensive coordinator who does come over from Virginia. I think he brought a lot of his, his staff as well, which, I mean, if you're a Louisville fan, makes you a little bit nervous. Brendan Armstrong kind of lit us up last year in that big fourth-quarter comeback at Cardinal Stadium. Uh, Robert and I also coach uh, Taysom Hill at BYU back in the day, a guy that they keep comparing Garrett Schrader to. And look, if Schrader improves that much as a passer this year, I'll tip my cap. But we saw, I mean, go back and watch just like the highlights of last year's game. We made him like stay in the pocket, which is going to be a big key to success on, on Saturday night as well. And he couldn't beat us with his arm. Like they don't have a whole lot of weapons on the outside. And when they were open, he couldn't find them. If he's again, if, if an eye is that much of a miracle worker that he can turn Garrett Trader into Taysom Hill, then so be it. I just don't see it. And it's the one thing that Syracuse fans seem to be hanging their hat on. It like it it should be a, a win for Louisville. Like if you are a fan who's optimistic right now, who's saying, I think we can go eight and four, I don't see how you get to eight wins if it doesn't include a win over the team that's picked last in your own division and that most people think is gonna be the second or third worst team overall in the ACC. Like it just Scott, you got to get this one done. I, I, we'll talk about UCF next week. I think that'll be a, certainly a challenge. Florida State could be a lot better. But this one, if you're looking at the schedule and you're saying, okay, circle three games that you feel like Louisville should win, because there are a lot of toss-up games on the schedule, Syracuse has to be one of those games. Like, you, Not only have you dominated these guys in recent years, they shouldn't look markedly better than they have been you know, the, the last three seasons or so. So go up there and yeah. get it done. I mean, this isn't like, you know, we're not, um, you know, uh, Alabama where we can go into week one and be like, let's run a vanilla game plan here so we save all our stuff for the rest of the year. Like, I want whatever we can do here, you know, whether it's trick plays or whatnot, like, we got to win this game. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying that the coaching staff has any intention of doing that by any means, but I think they know it's important. Um, you know, you heard Scott talk about it in his press conference, but 
Man, I mean, the more I just stare at this game in the face, I'm like, why? I shouldn't be as nervous as I am. And I guess that's why I have a weird feeling in my stomach. But um, a big part of me thinks, like, we are going to take care of business and this year is going to be different. All right, I want to do – before we do our Syracuse predictions, I, I want to do a like a season prediction thing because this is the time of the year that we get that. Um, do you want to put a win total on this year's team? Like, like what are you what are you expecting right now? We're at that time of the year too, like a couple of days before. Oh, I mean, kickoff. last year I hit it on the head. I said six and six, and I feel like you I did. got rolled, um online. So, um, man, jeez, I, I I love the offensive line depth, and I I, I love that we're going to be able to run the ball. So, I think we're going to go. I feel like eight and four is really optimistic. I'm, I'm floating between eight and four and seven and five. I'm going to go seven and five. Um, and then I think we build off of that next year. Um, so seven and five. And I think we have a surprise loss, but we also have a surprise win as well. I'm right there with you. I feel like seven and five is kind of the generic response. It's, it's sort of the, the baseline, but I'm going seven and five as well. I said seven and five last year. You said six and six. You were right. I feel like just listening to you talk, you're kind of like me though, where if you got nudged one way or the other, I'm closer to eight and four than I am to six and six. Are you there too? Yeah, I, I think I, I think we're deeper at a lot of key positions this year. Um, expect God. I mean, just think about the defensive backfield last year, like how bad it was. Like it just, it's like it can't be that bad, can it? It <laughs> can't Please. do it again, can it? Brian, Brian. <laughs> we're begging you, buddy. Um, I'm with you, too. I, I feel like we were talking about, like, Louisville. Louisville under Satterfield and really, for the most part, under Petrino as well, did this thing where, like, they beat the teams they were supposed to beat and then lost the teams they were supposed to lose to. I'm kind of with you in that I feel like they get one this year that they're not supposed to, at least. Like, I, I'm, I, I think they get one of those last three. Clemson, NC State, Kentucky. The most obvious answer is NC State because it's at home. Say, I love that NC State is getting all this preseason hype, but I'm not saying they are very talented. Like it's NC are, State though. Like they, they, you know, they're, they're going to win. This is Dave Dorn. Come on, guys. It's Dave Dorn for fuck's sake. Like, <laughs> they're going to win seven, eight, or nine games. It's what they do every single year. So if like we'll we'll kind of know like if they um if they're already eight and eight and two because that'll be the second to last week of the season. We're winning that game because there's yeah. like NC State doesn't win ten games. They're, they're not getting there. If they're six and four, I'm a little bit more nervous because they've got to get to their seven and five type deal. I, do, I mean, I hate to say like I don't know how anybody can feel good about Kentucky at this point. Just you know, again, it's a long way away. We'll talk again about this on Thanksgiving week. But just based on what they've done the last few years and, and the fact that they should be good again this year, that one feels tough. Clemson on the road obviously feels tough. I think they can beat Wake Forest at home. I mean, we should have beaten them last year. Wake has the. I I know we should have beaten them last year. They they just, I don't know, man. They just give us fits. Like I don't know what it is. Like I know we beat them the Evan Conley year, but they they all no matter what their record is, like that. I I fucking hate playing that game. We I mean it's it's always a shootout. It feels like it's always a weird game. They they have kind of a weird situation now where their their quarterback Sam Hartman is out. Yeah. At least the first month of the season, it sounds like with some undisclosed medical deal. Um, they seem confident that he's going to play this season. That game's the last week of October, so you would assume Hartman would have been back for a couple of weeks there. Um, that doesn't help our cause, but obviously, you know, you never want anybody to be to be hurt or sick, so hopefully uh, he'll be healthy for that game. 
Uh, Pitt feels like a tough like that feels like a tough one because they bring back so much besides. Yeah. The quarter. Did you see by the way, uh, Keaton Slovis, the the transfer? You know they play West Virginia in week one. He gets up in their pep rally and just goes, "I got one last thing to say. Fuck West Virginia." I was like, <laughs> I was like, imagine, imagine like Will Levis doing that. Like I know they do, he does the L down, but like imagine like radio around here if Will Levis got up there last year for the first game and just like, "Fuck Louisville." Like it'd be, I mean, I, I mean, what get the kick off? I'm actually very excited. I mean, that that's like to me. I hate that they stopped playing because that was like one of the more like intense yeah. rock games like in all of college football that really didn't get talked about. And obviously we know when uh, the upset, the Dave Wanstead upset that ruined West Virginia's national title hopes about, you know, 10, 12 years ago. I forgot. But um, yeah, what an intense Thursday night kickoff. That'll be like, all right, like this is this is the taste I needed. Like screw Nebraska Northwestern. Like this is what I want. Yeah, I'm very excited about all the games this weekend. I mean, really, like Thursday, Friday too has some some loaded action. All right, so we're both at seven and five for this season, which I think you know would be, I think most Louisville fans would be like satisfied. Certainly not elated, but it would be enough to have some momentum carrying into next season with this recruiting class for Scott Satterfield and company. Especially like the combination of wins matters. If you're seven and five, and maybe you drop a game early in the year, that BC game, I'm just, I've got it circled. I, I feel like just bad things are going to happen. I've already, I've already just like mentally prepared for it. Like you drop a couple games that you're not, you're not supposed to. But if we beat Kentucky, or if we beat Clemson, I mean, imagine you end the season with sort of the reverse of last year, where you beat Kentucky and then you beat somebody of note in a bowl game. Like all of a sudden, like that eight and five type season feels different than if you were you know, seven and one at one point and then just get blasted by Kentucky and get blasted in your bowl game as well. Um, that stuff matters. I also think an underrated storyline, since I'm all over the place here, if Louisville does take advantage of the light early schedule and they're like six and one, seven and one, would not be shocked at all if Josh Hurd goes ahead and gives Scott Satterfield a contract extension because he knows what the end of the season looks like. I feel like Jimmy Sexton, Satterfield's agent, would put the pressure on on Hurd at that point because he knows the situation as well. And if you're seven and one and you're ranked presumably like in the top fifteen, top twenty of the country, like the fan base isn't going to be upset if you give him that that right. extension at that point. Like that's an underrated storyline. If we get off to that hot start, I would not be surprised at all if it happens. Oh, but it again, shows the recruit stability, and I mean that's what you want. So yeah. um, I'm totally there with you. I, I could definitely see that happening. Um, I mean, I know the schedule rolls out for us like that. Like, I, I can't even take my mind to a place that we're seven and one. Like, that's just too much for me to handle right now, even though I know that the back half of the schedule is supposed to be the loaded part. But I mean, you know how my mind gets. I'm like, OK, you know, how much are flights to New Orleans? Um, but anyways, yeah, I it'll be interesting. Like I said, from like a eyeball standpoint i mean jesus you just can't get trucked by uk like you got to put up a fight against like some of these better teams like like pit like you said um you know clemson i don't know i actually think they're going to be a different animal this year i think they're going to be really good um i've there i guess there's rumblings out on the internet that dj whatever ukulele or whatever his name is like might be I don't want to say losing his job, but they have that elite eleven quarterback that is apparently yeah. turning. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
I, I could see them being kind of getting back on track to the Clemson that we all, you know, all know. But the other ones, man, you, you got to stay in those games. Um, obviously, you want to win some of them, but you can't get just absolutely butt fucked like we did last year at the end of the year. My last scheduling thought, and I'm not quite as mad about this as Keith Wynn is, but I'm still furious. James Madison on the schedule yeah. is the toughest thing of all time. I mean, we scheduled them when they were an FCS team, and I don't know how long it's going to take people to figure out. You don't get bonus points for playing good FCS teams. Like, nobody nationally cares. Nobody nationally looks at this. They look at a, a narrow win over James Madison as being worse than a, you know, 21-point win, 28-point win over, like, Murray State. They, they don't look at the caliber of team in the FCS. And, like, on the same note, like, now James Madison's moved to the FBS. They should be one of the better teams in the group of five. You don't get bonus points for beating good group of five teams. It's not like college basketball where you're trying to better your resume for the, the NCAA tournament. If you're going to play a bye game, play a bye game where you can just destroy somebody. Like, like just especially when now that's our, our lead-in to Clemson, NC State, UK, that gauntlet. You'd love to have a chance to rest some guys in the second half of that game. And if it's closer than it should be, which is certainly possible, you don't get that, that, that chance. So I'm, I'm already mad about that game. I hate that we have the Dukes on the schedule. I'm pissed about it, but whatever. We'll move on. Um, One we'll make, at a time. Game at a time. Let's, let's focus on that. All right, we'll make our Syracuse predictions in a second. But do you have – we've been ha- – a couple months – we've had like one podcast this summer basically. I'm hoping for a good Dan of the Dump story here. What do you got? I, I mean – I, honestly, it's oh boy. summer. Here's here's what I'll say. And you know this one. This isn't like a, a huge one or anything, but like, I don't know. I, I, I find it like something that would happen to me. All right. If you've if if you never seen uh, Breaking Bad, like spoiler alert here, but uh, like I Both was, sides. I, I was dead. I, yeah, I was totally into Better Call Saul this season um or not this season like the series ended i loved it i put it in like one of my top five or six shows i've ever watched um obviously i think breaking bad is probably one it's right there with sopranos and the wire but i I don't know i just absolutely love breaking bad but back in 2013 um you actually lived down the street from me at that time and our power went out. This was like in October of 2013, I believe. So I, I went over to your house and you and our friend Brandon were watching uh, a show called Breaking Bad. And it just happened to be the series finale. And I never even watched it before. So like I went over there and I was like, huh. I was like, you're like, I've never seen like two more intense people like watching a show in my life. You're like, oh my God. I was like, I think I, I might have walked in on something big here. So, like, and then I, like, went back and watched this series. Like, of course, like, I'm the guy that sees the very last episode of one of the greatest series of all time, like, first. So then as I'm, like, watching this series, I'm like, oh, my God, I actually know the ending. I saw it over at Mike's house. So, um, I don't know. That really sucked. But, um, yeah, salute to Better Call Saul. Uh, Great series if you haven't watched it. I was so pissed when, like, because, like, Lila and I have been, like, looking forward to this for weeks. Like, we were talking all day about who's going to live, who's not going to live, how's it going to end. And then, like, the show's getting ready to start. Like, my phone just blows up, and you're like, I got to get some work done. My power's out. I was like, God damn it, Dan. I was like, you can come over, but you can't talk. And, like, you, you have to, like, sit in the corner. 
and you were like, I feel like I'm walking into something pretty big right here. Like I shouldn't be here right now. I was like, yeah, this is, we're, we're taking it pretty seriously. Yeah. There's yeah, like, there's like an assault rifle, like opening up in the trunk of a car. I was like, what is this show? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that I would say that uh, I, I thought of that the other day when I was watching the series finale. So uh, there you go. All right, week one, Louisville on the road, taking on Syracuse, four-point favorites, 8 o'clock kickoff on the ACC Network, our first official predictions of the year. Danny Sennard, what do you got? All right, I thought about going two ways here. I could have been the negative Nancy and gotten nervous in a close game and and gone with Syracuse. I I told you, I said, I didn't think we're going to lose. We're going to blow them out. I'm going blow out. I think we're going to come out and blow the doors off here. I am going 45 21 cards. Ooh, I like that. Um, I'm also going 21 points for Syracuse. I'm a little bit less optimistic than you. I say it's like a game where we're in control. We get off to a lead. Syracuse kind of threatens in the first half, but we're, we never feel like, like like the wind's seriously in doubt. And we wind up winning, I'm going to say 38 to 21. Um, so I'll go a touchdown less than you do. But, you know, Tyon Evans runs for 500 yards and, and six touchdowns. That's, I feel good. I don't think the math adds up there, but that's okay. Don't 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 question me about this. Um, there you go. First podcast of the season. We promise this is not a hollow summer promise. We're going to be back to doing this uh, regularly. Season's here. My God, we're excited. Uh, at least once a week pods from now on. Let's get this going. Uh, subscribe to the pod wherever you can. Give us a nice rating. Leave us a review. We always read the reviews on air, except we're not going to today because I haven't pulled them up. So if we have any new reviews, we'll get to that next episode. But we'll have a recap episode next week, and then we'll look ahead to Central Florida. Here's hoping we're celebrating a big-time victory. Let's get this done. Scott. Scott. Don't make it weird, bro. Win this game. Let's get it done. Get them going, Scott. Let's go. Go cards, right. baby. Go cards, fellas. We'll see you guys next week. Go cards.